Well, welcome. It is good to be with you today. Uh, Whether you are uh, at one of our campuses today, one of our mission sites, or maybe joining us online from all over the place, we're grateful that we get to be together today. Well, how about that? In one day, two number one seeds go down which means that as long as the Chiefs keep winning, the road to the Super Bowl goes through KC. How about that? How about that? Pretty good stuff. So let's just get down to business. It's time for me to ask the most important question, and I want you to be honest with me because we are in worship. God is present, all right? Who's been praying for a Chiefs win? Come on, come on, who's been, there you go. You can, you can be honest, you can be honest. Who's been praying for a Chiefs win? Now look, when people start talking about praying for games, churchy people get squirrely, they get nervous. I'm the, I'm the guy that says, look, I can't guarantee that one for you, all right? Because sometimes what we're praying for, not really sure how God's perspective is and all that. But I'm the guy that thinks it's always okay for you to be talking to the chief shepherd about those things. You know, you see what I did there? See what I did there? It, I, I, in all seriousness, even when I am asking God for something that maybe might not line up with where his heart may be on something, I still think the safest place for me to be talking about that is with God. Is what we got, all right? However, we can learn some things in regards to prayer that I'm convinced God always desires to answer. There are some aspects of prayer and some things that we can ask for that we know God always desires to give. And that is what we are learning together in Philippians chapter 1. We are doing a study through this whole little letter, Philippians. It's a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Jesus followers in a place called Philippi a long time ago. But God made sure that it was written down even for us. And today... We're going to learn some more really good stuff when it comes to prayer, all right? So verse 9 is where we see the prayer occur in Philippians chapter 1. There's only about three verses here. We are going to spend about three to four weeks just digging in and go, God, what will you teach us about prayer here? Look at what it says in verse 9. This is my prayer. This is Paul. He's praying, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This is where we started last week. A relationship with God. A relationship with God's family, his people, his church. It is built on love. And what we learned last week from this one statement, right? This is an amazing love. It is a divine love. This is God's love that he has given us, supernatural. 
It's a love that is decisive. The word love there is agape. That's what we discovered. Agape is not this love that just sort of falls into something. No, this is a love that says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as we live, I choose to love you. It's decisive. It's a love that is dynamic because he says, "I I want this to abound more and more in you. I want this love to grow. It's not static. It's moving forward. It's a love that's deep because it's a love that's attached to knowledge. And we discovered that knowledge, man, that is the truth of God's word. When we know the truth of God's word, then we know what real love looks like. It's deep. And a depth of insight, it is a discerning love that we know how to live that out. And we're not going to just be the people who say, you know what, they look like they could use some help over here, but, but I don't really know if my action would help them or hurt them, so I'm just not going to do anything. No, we get to say, God, help me love right here. God, speak that I might know how to love like you love. Don't you always appreciate it? When I can like summarize all of last week's sermon in two minutes, appreciate that. It's a gift. Here's what I thought about this week. There's no other religion on the planet that's about a God who loves you. When I talk to, you know, the few people that I know who would say they're, they are Buddhist, I, I'm telling you, in our conversation, they don't talk about loving Buddha. And they don't talk about that Buddha loves them. They talk about what they need to do to appease it would be the same with Hindus. Hindus would tell you that they don't love their, their gods, their deities. It's what you must do to appease the gods, if you will. But this is the great distinction of Christianity. And so it's where Paul starts in his prayer. This is about a God who loves you. And that you can love him. And then in that context that we can love one another. And so today, we're picking it up from there. And we're going to learn that this love, this love that is controlled, it is anchored, it is guided by the truth of God's word so that we know what real love is. It is guided by practical insight. God giving us wisdom. How do we? It actually leads to something even more. Verse 10, here's what he says. So that, those sound like boring words, right? So that, but that's how I know this leads to more. It's those kinds of words in scripture, they're a link. They show a progression. What we just learned about love, what Paul just prayed for in regards to love, so that. It it means there's more that's coming. For the people who are dominated by the love of God, it is setting you up for something more. What is that something more? 
so that you may be able to discern. Discern. It's an interesting word in Greek language. It's a, it's a word that's, that's used in classical Greek for, for evaluating, say, a metal to tell if that metal um, uh, is, is pure, if it's strong. It's a word that's used for testing money to determine is it counterfeit or is it real. So the question is, okay, we love so that we're, we're able to evaluate, we're able to test, we're able to discern something here. The, the question is, what, what is it that we are able to discern? We are able to discern what is best. Best. So before we go any further, let's make sure we get it. This is not about discerning what is good and bad. Most everybody can do that. This is about the ability to distinguish between what's good and between what is best. And very few people do that. This is a, a, a discernment. It's the ability to, to assess what, 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 what is, we could use the word excellent here. What is best, what is excellent. In other words, the ability to focus our lives, our time on what really matters, our energy on what is most significant. Now, who is it that determines best? God determines best. That's the evaluating factor here. When, when I am dominated by the love of God, a, a God who loves me and I love him and I love his people, then, then I am given this ability to discern what is best in this life. You can't pursue what's best until you're able to discern what's best. And he's saying here, I give you that ability. What are the best Things in life. And what are the best decisions when I need to make decisions in life? God wants to give us that discernment. That's one of those things you can pray for. It's one of those things you can ask for. So uh, let's just get, I mean, try to put it in perspective here. We could do a hundred different examples, but... um, how about, how valuable is it to know what to do with your money? I mean, all the time, that's a question we're often asking. What, what do I do with the resources of money that I have? Well, does the Bible ever say it's wise to save? Yeah. Does the Bible ever say that it's wise to give? Yeah. Does the Bible ever say that it's wise to, to spend something? Like, aren't there times that you need Something and God gives you the resources to, to provide for your family? And the answer to all of that is yes. And so in a given moment, how do you know what's best? Because I'm saying sometimes it could be safe, but not every time. Not every time, despite what the studies tell you, right? Sometimes it would be to give 
I, I, he's saying, look, when, when you are anchored in his love, he gives you such discernment that, that you know, first of all, the things that God says is best, right? And therefore, you know some things are certainly they're not, they're, they might be good that you could do with your resources, but there are things that God goes, these are the things that he cares about the most. But even in those moments, which one do you do at any given time? He's saying, I want to give you that ability to discern what is best. That is so much different than what I tend to observe. You know those little rubber bouncy balls that your grandkids can throw and when they throw them it takes like 10 minutes for you to chase that sucker down because it it bounces off of every piece of furniture and wall and everything else in the house and it's almost like it has a life of its own and the more it bounces the faster it moves that's what most people's lives look like to me it's just this reaction to this impulse and then that emotion and then this mood and all of that tends to tell them what to do next. It's just a reaction to the environment around them. And, and there, there doesn't seem to be an attempt to create the right environment. Well, how would you know how to create the right environment? If you know what's best. If you know where God hangs out and this is what matters most, then that's where you're going to hang out in what matters most. If you know those, those truths, then you, you, you are better able to intentionally respond, not just bounce from thing to thing. Y'all, we, we need to take more time to think. Sometimes we really don't take time to think. And obviously in the context of what we're studying here, I'm saying thinking in light of a God who wants to give us correct thinking. Somebody said, most of society is on a caboose looking backwards. Just watching what flies by. But never intentionally being able to see. Somebody else, I've always heard this one, it's like the pilot the pilot who made the announcement, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is we have lost all our instrumentation and don't know where we are. The good news is we have a tailwind and we are making great time. And sometimes that's how people live life. Like we really don't know where we are or where we're going, but we are moving there fast. And the result, here's how you know. You suddenly wake up and you go, man, how did we get here? That was a blur. Because we can't see it clearly. We're not discerning clearly. What does God say matters most? You can't be a victim of your emotions you cannot be a victim of your moods if you are going to pursue what is best, what is excellent. You got to practice mind over mood. 
I'm not going to hang out here long, but I just wanted to show you. This is so prevalent in Scripture. I think some of the some of the very I'm going to call them famous passages of Scripture talk about this so clearly. How about Romans chapter 12? Right? You you've heard this one, verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hmm. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. He says this is a change of mind. It's a change of mind from a pattern of how the world thinks on these things to how does God see these things? What is best? What is excellent? Let me just give you one more real quick. The actual book of Philippians, we will get there by, I don't know, November, we'll see. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. It starts with thinking right, thinking on those excellent things. Now, again, I'm not talking about just simply the positive of power, uh, the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about the power of thinking as God thinks in terms of what he says is best. So today, like if you look at your life, are you really approving and pursuing the things that God says are best or is your life filled with maybe good things but they're really things that just end up taking all your energy and you're missing out on those best things that God has called your life to. Isn't that good? And you know what he says? We pray for those. We ask for that. That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying for these Philippians, and God wrote it down so that we could learn from it too, that that we can ask him. We can ask him. I don't know how he feels about the Chiefs game, but I know how he feels about this. So when you love right, and then you you begin to pursue what is best. If you love like God loves, then you're going to pursue those things that he cares about most. Then actually there's even more that follows. Let's go back to verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be, let's pause right there, and may be, that's a little Greek term that, if you ever get into where you're studying original language and you're studying Greek language, this, this is a very, very uh, common term. It's, it's what's called henna with a subjective. It means it's a purpose clause. And so when you're studying language like this, it means what I, what, when it says and may be, there's a purpose. There's a purpose. And what is the purpose here? You are to love so that you can pursue excellence in order that for the purpose of being pure. Pure. Pure means genuine. 
Um, it means sincere. But really figuring out the anchor, the root word to, to this word is kind of a challenge. Honestly, there's a couple of possibilities, but honestly, every single one of them can challenge us. So in other words, when we see this word pure, some scholars believe that the anchor word to that is a word that we would, we would think about to sift like grain. All right, so back in the day, when they're harvesting the grain, they would put it in a sieve and they would, they would sift that grain until all the impure stuff would be fall away and what was left would be pure grain. Well, if that's the root of this word, then we can see how that fits in, in this context. When you love right, you, you love God because you understand how he loves you and then you begin to love people like God loves people, then all of a sudden the priorities of your life are going to change. What you put your time and energy and resources toward are going to begin to match what he puts his heart toward. And all the stuff fades away so that what is left of what you dedicate your life to it's pure. It's genuine. It is sincere. There's another possibility of what the root word is for this word pure. It comes from two, actually, other words. Um, one of them is sun, as in the sun in the sky. And, and the other word is the word judge. And when you put them together, the idea is testing something by sunlight. Right to test something by sunlight. The, the Latin derivative of this word is the word sincere. It means without wax. Like, that's weird. Well, let me explain. Back in the day, Paul's day, when a uh, potter would go to work on a piece of pottery, and maybe it's a vase, um, a bowl, a jar, a plate, whatever, he goes to work on that, puts it on the potter's wheel, shapes it as he's going to shape it. When it is brought to completion, he's going to fire it, right? But often what would happen is sometimes there would be an impurity in the clay. Uh, sometimes there would be just something off that, that a mistake is made. It could be even temperature that affects that whole process. And suddenly as a result of that, there is a crack in the pottery, an imperfection. Now that, a crack in a vase uh, kind of renders that useless if you're trying to hold, I don't know, water runs out. But back in the day, probably not a whole lot different than our day, that whole production process was about, what, money. And so they didn't just want to waste the product. And so sometimes when the potter would, would discover a crack in the pottery, he would take a hard wax and he would fill that imperfection. He would fill that crack with the wax and then, you know, you'd paint over the top of it like you would anyway. Well, how's that going to go? First time you get that thing home 
and you're either putting it over a fire or something hot in it, and it touches that wax, and the wax melts, and the blemish is revealed, and the piece of pottery is useless. So, in that day, every wise person who went to the marketplace looking for a piece of pottery, when, when they saw the piece that they thought they wanted to buy, they would hold it up to the sun so that the light of that sun, they would rotate it so that the light of that sun would reveal the crack in the pottery. A life, a life held up to the sunlight that reveals any brokenness, any flaws. But you and I both know we're pretty good with wax. I'm pretty good with wax. I can can fill in. The cracks, I, I, I can fill in the brokenness so that when you see it, man, it's pretty hidden. It's tough to see. The wax of hypocrisy, sin, flaws, sometimes that we cover with um, our wax of churchiness, can we call it that? churchy language and religious activity. But what often happens is when that life suddenly meets the heat, the heat of a circumstance, the truth is revealed. But I want you to look at the progression here. Look at the progression here. Here's what Paul's praying for. Love, come on. Man, if you see God's love, if you understand what God's love is really like, if you understand how he loves you and that that you can love him and how you love one another, then that love is going to lead to an excellence in terms of what you're going to devote your life to, what, what is best, and that produces, what are we talking about here? Integrity. Integrity. A character that is, that is genuine. Somebody said one time, it's sort of like making bread. Um, if you just put all the ingredients that it takes to make bread in a pan and shove it in the oven, you don't get bread. What did you leave out? You got to mix it. Mixing means every part touches the other. And it is a, I think that's a beautiful image of when we talk about integrity, that's what integrity really is when, when every part of your life can touch all the other parts of your life and there are no gaps. No hidden gaps where what you claim to believe in this area doesn't know that there are no 
gaps when everything touches? What, what accomplishes this in our life? It is God and his word, right? It, it is God and his word as he speaks into our lives, a word that, that he tells us it is alive, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to discern the, the deep thoughts and the intents of my heart. He sees it all, reveals it all. When there is a dominating love and a pursuit of excellence, and you understand when I'm saying excellence here, it's not some banner of, hey, I can do this better than you. No, I mean excellence like what God cares about. Then a life with character can be produced that can withstand the inspection. And in the end, Somebody looks at you and says, that guy, that lady is for real. They're for real. And so whatever they're talking about regarding Jesus, I think I want to hear that. I think I want to hear. Not a perfect people not a people who never make mistakes, but a people who are not fake, a people who are genuine. I would call that a personal integrity. But the picture of integrity gets even bigger here because there's another word back in verse 10 because it doesn't just say pure, but it also says blameless. See that word? Different word means something different. The word blameless means not causing others to stumble. That's what it means. So you get the picture when my life is genuine, when my life is for real, then, then I, am, I am not setting other people up to stumble. It is not personal integrity. It's, it's the relational integrity, if you will. And this is no small stumble. This is not like, oh, I made a mistake and so these people don't believe in me as much as they would before. This is a stumble that's not just about me. This is a stumble in regards to stumbling over a faith in Jesus. You find out that what he looked like he was in church is not really what he was at home. And it caused his children to stumble. Because he would speak about a faith in Jesus. But then what he revealed was not what matched. And his children say, I don't really know if this is real or not. That's the stuff. It's the student who says one thing, appears to be one thing when the, when the student gatherings happen, but then it's not the same student that shows up for school. And it really just destroys any opportunity to speak of a Jesus. Hmm. You're not real. I don't really think he's real either. It's a work setting. Somebody that claims to belong to Jesus, but the way they do business 
I don't think that's how Jesus would do business. And in the process, people get hurt. And what happened to the opportunity to speak of Jesus? You get the picture. Vases with cracks, often filled with religious language, religious tradition, and so sometimes makes it hard to spot in the beginning. But what Paul is praying for here is a love, a love that is anchored to the biblical truth of what God says love looks like and a practical insight of knowing how to live live that out. It leads to this life pursuit that, God, I want your heart. I want to go after what you say is most valuable every single day of my life. God, what you say is significant. What you say is best, that's what I want. And the result is a a sifting that happens in our life, a a, a sun that, that reflects the truth so that it generates this personal and relational integrity that God is shaping in you. He says, you know what? This is what I want to do in you. (laughs) So ask me. Pray for one another and ask me. But before we wrap this up, I want to deal with one more piece of this today. I want to deal with those of us who would say, Jeff, I'm not trying to hide it. I'm not trying to cover it up. But I got broken stuff in me. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I'm not trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. I just know what I am. And I am broken. And the question is, what does God do with broken lives? And I want you to know it is something masterful. I just learned, just learned about an art form. It's actually a a Japanese art form. It's called kintsugi. Kintsugi. I doubt I'm pronouncing it correct, but you don't know either, so we're good. Kin, kin means golden, means golden. Sugi means joining, rejoining. So you put it together, it's golden rejoining. All right. So let me, let me see if I can paint this picture for you. Not yet. Paint a picture for you. You didn't see that. All right. (laughs) Imagine um, two boys, hypothetically, playing football in the house. One of them decides they're going to throw a Mahomes, no-look pass. Well, this pass is not completed, but it's also just not incomplete. 
Because this past strikes a vase in your house, sending that vase tumbling to the ground, and it shatters. Shatters. Rather than throwing the pieces away, Kintsuki is an answer. And it is what a craftsman does when they take a, it's a lacquer type mixture with gold dust, it's gold, and they take that mixture and they put the pieces back together. That is super cool. I love that. Check out this other one. I love that. I, I, I'm looking at this this week going, I think that bowl looks better than before it was cracked. And I would tell you, that is so much what it's like with Jesus. Because instead of discarding what is broken, whether it's broken relationships, whether it is a fractured faith, whether it is simply the the effects of a woundedness of this world, I want you to know there is a bonding agent, a bonding agent that flowed some 2,000 years ago when Jesus willingly went to a cross at Calvary and shed his blood for my brokenness. It is that blood that takes what is broken and makes it whole again. And in the end, even able to make it more beautiful than it, than it even was before. It is because of this truth I have always loved the story in John's Gospel, chapter 4, of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. I have always loved that story for this reason. Uh, uh, Really an encounter that in that day, most people would say should never have happened. A a, a Jewish man who's who's meeting with a Samaritan woman. But, But as that conversation unfolds, we find out that, right, she has had five husbands. And the man that she's with now, she's not married to. I'm not throwing rocks at that. I'm just saying, how many scars are attached to that? How much brokenness is felt in that one description? How much betrayal? How much failure? How much guilt? But by the time Jesus and her are finished talking... The story is she goes to town, and what she says is, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And it is this beautiful picture of me, for me, where Jesus took even the scars and turned it into a part of her beautiful testimony of saying, I want you to come meet this man who knows all my scars and still loves 
me. Not only does Jesus take the shattered, and not only does he forgive our sin, but he even turns that brokenness into beauty. Anybody here grieving? Maybe it's brokenness from relationships. Maybe it's a fractured faith. Maybe it really is the effect of a wounded world. I want you to hear me. Jesus will not throw you away. In fact, he's coming after you. Because he loves you. He became broken. Willingly. The one who had no brokenness, the one who had no sin, he became broken for me. In order to heal, in order to redeem, in order to make beautiful what was broken. The C.S. Lewis, who once put it this way, he said, this world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues And there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. And I'm saying, why not today? Why not today? Let's pray. God, I thank you for a love that is so real. A love that is so genuine. I thank you for a love, God, that when we open your word, when we read the good news, God, we discover a love from you that is different than anything we have ever seen or heard of. A love that has decided to love us, even in our brokenness, even in our wrong, even in our sin. You love us. And God, you help us see. You give us eyes to see who you really are, you give us eyes to see how you really love. God, I pray for those who are hearing my voice today who maybe have never reached toward you, responding to such love. God, today, would you give us eyes to see and a heart that turns and declares, God, we believe that you love us because we believe that you gave your son to die for our sin. And we believe that he arose from the dead and prove 
that everything you said is true. God, I pray for those today who need to turn their heart toward you to say we want to entrust our life to you. God, will you forgive us? And God, will you fill us? God, I pray for those who today need to turn to you. Will you give them faith to trust? God, I also pray for your kids today. Perhaps some of us, it's been a long time even since that day of first putting our trust in you. But God, there is some stuff that we recognize we have been good with the wax. And times that we have filled in the brokenness trying to cover. God, today, may all of that pretending, God, just be removed. God, I'm asking today, will you give us a heart that so desires we don't want to pretend anymore? God, we want to know what it's like for you to work in us what you tell us today is possible. A love that is so powerful that it changes who we are. God, I pray today that you would give us faith, the same faith that reached way, perhaps way back there to say we trusted you, God, today, a faith that reaches out again, knowing that you see the scars and you always have, and you didn't throw us away. You still love. God, I am asking for a love that is real in your church, a love that is genuine among your people, a love that leads us to not, not walk around pointing out each other's faults, but a love that as we see each other's struggles, we will help each other run to you. We sing these songs all the time, God, about how you're better, how Jesus is better and better is one day. And I think... Um, we have a tendency, I think most of us that gather together, we, we believe that, we, we say that, we, we know that. But what we're learning in this prayer from Paul is to ask another question, but does my life reflect that? That I won't just show up in church on a Sunday and declare that better is one day house than a thousand elsewhere, but, but every day I'm saying it's better to know what's best from you. It's better to love right like you. It's better to have an integrity that is genuine like you. So God, even as we sing again, you see the scars. In the name of Jesus today, will you bring healing that the world might see how beautiful you are.